I was sitting on the front porch this morning, reading and thinking, and my some of my children were out there this morning. And God kind of blessed me with a thought. I was listening to the birds sing songs, which you don't hear very often sometimes on a busy road. And every once in a while, the traffic would go by, and you couldn't hear the birds singing. But nonetheless, it was a great thought that despite the noise of the world, God's glory is still sung out. The birds didn't stop singing because I couldn't hear them. The birds continued their song. Not allow the noise of the world to drown it out to themselves, but they sang out faithfully. So we also, in our lives, ought to do the same. When the world's noise gets loud, when we get distracted by the things around us, we ought to remember to praise God despite all things. It was just a neat little thought as I was sitting there drinking my coffee this morning, and my son asked me, what were you, what are you thinking? So I kind of shared that with him, but just thought it was a good thought to share this morning as we begin to worship God through the reading and understanding of his word. So this morning we're going to talk about the accomplishment of sin. We're still in the book of James, moving along through chapter 1. We're going to be in James 1, 13 through 16 this morning. And we're going to sit there in these three verses, and there's so much truth packed into so little. That's one thing I love about God's Word is He can put so much into so little of a thing. And praise God that He does, for He does that with His creatures. Man is so little upon the earth, and yet God uses him for great things. God accomplishes His will through His creation for His glory. But we must stop to think Sin seeks to accomplish its will in our hearts and in our lives. Satan is not quiet. He is not weak, but he is powerless to those in Christ. If you think long enough upon something, whether it's a sin, whether it's a struggle, oftentimes you'll find yourself, if you think long enough about it, you'll find yourself doing the thing that you think about. Our thoughts are important. Our thoughts are a great battleground. Do we take those thoughts captive to the glory of Christ? Or do we give in to our thoughts and allow our thoughts to dictate our lives? To illustrate that, I want to start with a little thought this morning. There was a man who struggled with his weight. He struggled with his health. He struggled with his eating. And yet every day he looked at a menu from a pizza store and said, this is the stuff that I should not be eating. And every day he would start his day with that. And he'd fill his mind with the things of, oh, this is my struggle, but this is what I should not eat. Eventually he found himself wandering by the pizza store, found himself looking longingly in the windows, and eventually this man went in and he began to eat again. And he began to indulge in the things that he was preparing his mind that I should not eat. The problem was is he started with thinking upon his struggle instead of thinking upon the one that can save him from his struggle. Oftentimes we find ourselves doing the same thing. We look at our sin or we look at our struggles and we focus upon that instead of stopping to look up to the one who can save us from our struggles, who has already cleansed us from our sin and given us the power of his spirit to overcome it. Do we lo look and focus on our sin and dwell upon that, or we dwell upon the one that can save us from those things. Oftentimes, we do things backwards. I'm guilty of it. I know we all are. In our struggles, we look at our struggles, and we forget that our struggles have already been claimed victory over through Christ. 
We look to God's word if we focus upon that. Paul, in the wisdom given him, says in Philippians 4.8, Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, and whatever is of good repute, if there is anything of excellence, and if anything is worthy of praise, dwell on these things. Oftentimes, we are defeated before we begin because we focus on the wrong thing. Paul gives us great wisdom, and James picks up on this thought, just as Christ did. So this morning, before we dive into the book of James, we're going to pray, and then we're going to start reading through James 1, 13 through 16. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord. We thank you for the wisdom that you continue to provide through your word, that you have not cast us off like unwanted orphans, but that you have adopted us as sons and daughters in Jesus Christ. We thank you that adoption was great in your sight, that you would take a fallen creature, that you would make man in your image, that you would call him very good, and despite his sin and his hatred of you, that you would come to him, that you would cleanse him from sin through the precious blood of your Son. We thank you that in Christ we are made new. We thank you that in Christ we have been seated already in the heavenly places, that your will is already accomplished, and that as we march through life we're not seeing new things, but we are seeing your will being played out as it had already been established from of old. For you are sovereign. You are perfect in your will and all that you have deemed to be will happen. Father, we thank you that we can rest in contentment and in that truth, that we need not be afraid, that we need not fear, because you have already cast the lot, and you have already set the end. Father, help us to be faithful. Give us wisdom as we move through your word this morning, and we just ask that you would be glorified. We ask that you would be praised, and we ask that we would worship well in this time. In Jesus' name. Amen. So if you're not there, open with me to the book of James, chapter 1. We're going to read verses 13 through 16. James says this, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. Then, when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. I'll be honest with you, in preparing for this message, it's a struggle. It's a hard message to preach to oneself, because so often we see ourselves falter and fail in this area. Struggling against our flesh. It's interesting that in the language James uses, he doesn't say, if you fall into temptation. He says, when. It is a given. In the fact that we live in the flesh, all of us will be tempted by sin. That is something that we cannot forego. That is not something that we will not struggle with in our life. Just like as man has been appointed to live, so he has been appointed to die. Everybody, unless the Lord tarries, or if the Lord tarries, everybody will taste death one day. If the Lord comes back, praise God that we will do not have to go through that. But we will have a joyous reunion in the air with him. But know this, sin is a part of mankind. It has been there since the fall of Adam and Eve in the garden. But God knew this. Salvation was not a second plan. It was always the first. 
It was always intended that God would send His beloved Son to redeem a fallen race. And it is in this truth that James continues to march through the truths of God's Word. James, the half-brother of our Lord, had great wisdom growing up, seeing Christ in the flesh, lived out in his own house. And you'll see as we march through that James and Jesus had much of the same things to say. So we're going to start in verse 13. And we're going to start with a point called understanding truth. And we're going to look at this, and we're going to see that James is contrasting what he already said back up in verse 2. In verse 2, he says, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. Now, these are holy trials. These are the trials that God brings on in testing our faith. These are the things that we are looking at that is hard times, that is not a sin struggle or a sin issue, but it is an issue of the Spirit, of yielding to God and looking to His path and seeking His wisdom and what He needs to teach us in that time. But now, we're going to shift focus. And we're going to go into those unholy struggles. The struggles that start, as we'll see, in our hearts and goes forth. James starts with a beautiful truth. And he said, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. Now James will get into more in the immutability of God. God does not change. He picks up on that in verse 17. Lord willing, we'll look at that next week. God does not change. God is perfect in character. God is perfect in who He is. And because of that, we can have great joy that our salvation is not here nor there, up and down, but our salvation has been made firm in Christ because God said it. It is so. Because God doesn't change and become fickle as we do, we are not destroyed and consumed. This is the core of who God is. That's why God is God and we are not. Change. Outside things impact us and we, we react to things. We change based on circumstances. But as we become more and more like Christ, the less we change. The more firm our foundation so we stand in truth because we know truth. James is impressing upon us that we need to know who God is. Understand God's character so that when tough times come, we know where we can stand. We know we can cling to the truth of who God is. Evil is anything that is opposed to God. Look around you. There is much that opposes God in the world, in our culture, even in our own hearts at times. We set the truth of God aside for a lie. But when we are tempted... We cannot say, I am being tempted by God. But what can we say? That God can take even the abuse of Satan and the struggles of sin to glorify himself and to continue to renew the mind and the heart of the believer. We know that as we're reading through the book of Job, we hear the great truths of the struggles that Job went through. Job lost all his riches. Job lost his children. Job lost the support of his wife. Eventually, after a week long of silence, Job lost the support of his friends. But we know that through all of this, God was refining the man to understand him more. He was glorifying himself 
through the life of Job, through the tragedy and the trials. And we know that in all of that, Job did not sin. Did Job have perfect understanding? Absolutely not. God said, gird up your loins like a man. I will question you and you will answer me. I don't know about you, but that would shake me to the core. I know I don't have the right answers. I know I don't know it all. But in that, Job's humility was made shown. It was put to the forefront. Job didn't go around blame shifting, as often we find ourselves doing. In our temptations and our trials, instead of looking at the sin in our hearts, we say, ah, this is the cause over here. What did Adam do? The woman you gave me, he blamed God, did he not? Is the woman that you gave me caused me to sin. Sin is not an excuse of sickness. We find that often. Look around at the penitentiaries. Look at the jails and the prisons. We treat people as if it's a sickness instead of looking at the heart and the root issue that it's sin. There's a heart issue, not a sickness. We are all accountable for our moral failing. That is what sin is. It's a moral failing before God that we will give an accounting for. God is holy. We are not. But we are called to be holy. We are be called to be more and more made into the image of His beloved Son. We are all made in the image of God. Do you guys stop and think about that when you meet people and you look upon others around you and you're like, hmm, how are they made in the image of God? Sometimes I find myself wandering in my mind that way. It's just interesting to think about people. Everybody's made in the image of God. And yet we're so quick to judge people's appearance. We're so quick to judge their mannerisms. So quick to judge how well they speak or how well they don't. We're quick to judge how smart they are or the lack of foolish or the the lack of wisdom and fall into foolishness. We are very judgmental people because we look at the selfishness of our hearts and we think, ah, they need to be more like me or they need to be more like this. No. Each person is made in the beauty and image of God in some way. Do we look for that? Do we focus on that truth and therefore love one another? Because we are all made in God's image, despite our flaws, despite our failings, despite our lack of what we consider perfection. How often do we forget that it's not our idea of perfection, but what God considers is perfect, and it's Him Himself. In Matthew 6, verse 13, James kind of gives a recollection. And, he, and in Matthew 6, 13, Jesus says, And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. We all know what that is. It's a piece of the Lord's Prayer, right? But this is key for us as Christians. As James says, when we struggle, when we are tempted, let us not blame God, right? What are we to do? Cling to Christ. Call out to him. Jesus taught us in the Lord's Prayer. Lead me not into temptation. Why? Because we are easily led into temptation. Why? Because Christ overcame all temptation. Matthew chapter 4. His time in the desert, he was tempted and yet was without sin. We have much to learn, but he gives us the tools. He gives us his wisdom to guide us by. Moving on, verse 14. But each one of us is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. James now turns to the source of our sin. He doesn't say, ah, 
this a serpent? The devil made you do it. No, we have the millennial kingdom for a thousand years. Well, Satan will be bound and man will still sin. Can't say the devil made me do it. It's in the heart of man that the problem is. We have a sin problem. We have a heart that is wicked. Jesus said in Matthew 15, 19, for out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, fault witness, and slanders. Jesus points to the heart of the matter, quite literally. It is the heart of man that is wicked. It is the heart of man that seeks his own pleasure. As we get into James chapter 4, we're going to see more detail of the selfish lust of man and the problems that it causes in the church. Too often we bring our flesh into the church. Now, can't take a vacation from yourself, right? It's the one thing that never changes on any vacation you ever take. You're still there. But the more we practice becoming like Christ, the more we practice meditating on God's Word, the more we practice on loving God and loving our neighbor, the less of ourself is there. And it's not that we are to put ourselves away because God uses each individual and their unique characteristics to glorify himself. When you read a book of the Bible, oftentimes by the tone, you know who wrote the book. Read the Psalms. David's heart is pasted all over the Psalms. Read Solomon's wisdom and Proverbs. Read Samuel. Read Job. We can oftentimes hear a book and understand who the person is standing behind that because God isn't seeking to put man aside. God is seeking to use man to glorify himself. Submission to self is our problem. We need to submit to Christ. It's not my will, my desire, my pleasure, my self-importance. It's always my, 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 my which is totally reminiscent of Isaiah 14 in the fall of Satan, is it not? I will be like God. I will sit above the Most High. I will do this. Oftentimes we find ourselves in that same mantra. It is about me. It's about my self-importance. It's about what I want. This is the direction I think my life should go. This is what I believe the American dream is all about. This is what I believe I should do with my life. James gets into that later too. Who are we to say, I am going to go in the next year and do this or that? We don't know the number of our days. What did Moses pray? Teach me to number my days so I can offer unto you a heart of wisdom. We hit the very heart of the first two commandments and the greatest commandments. When we pull ourselves and put ourselves on our own throne, we remove God as sovereign, as king. You shall have no other gods before me. And yet often we do that. You shall not make for yourself a graven image. How often do we put ourselves as that idol? How often do we make a graven image in our own image? How often do we put God in a box because we refuse to label God and see God as who he says he is in his word? We make God comfortable. We make him tangible and easy to work with. That is not the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible is self-existent. He's holy. He's unapproachable. And yet through Christ... He has given us access to the Father. In Christ, He has given us of His Spirit. The source of our struggle is our heart. And moving into verse 15, it will give us more insight in the process of sin. For then when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. Our thought life is our greatest battleground. 
catch that? Our thought life is our greatest battleground. How often have we seen kings that come forth in a battle and they look out and look at the enemy and they start counting the numbers and they look at all the externals and yet don't count the cost of what they have. Jesus told a parable about this. But looking out, they refuse to look inward. What do we have? Where are we at? What's our terrain? Start looking through those things. Do we have valor to stand, courage to stand? Do we have all farmers and peasants? Do we have warriors? Oftentimes we take our Christianity that way. We look at all the externals and we focus on those things. And we forget that the battleground is in our hearts. Are we taking our thoughts captive for Christ? Are we taking our thoughts captive to the glory of God? Are we thinking on that which is true, right, pure, honorable? Or are we focusing on the things that I need? Okay, ooh, ooh, I got to deal with this. Yeah, we do have to deal with externals. We're human, but we've got to deal with the internal. Because Jesus said, out of the heart comes all thoughts of evil. The things that come out of our hearts come from our minds. The things that we meditate on. The things that we fill our minds with. The things that we think upon. But James gives us a beautiful picture here of sin's process. The conception imagery continues to show us that which is born of flesh is flesh. Sin does not leave any room for abortion in its process. James continues to move that on. He says, For when lust has been conceived, it gives birth to sin. It is a guarantee. As you allow sin in your mind and in your heart to fester and grow, as you look at it and as you cling to it, as you nurture it, as you give it relevance, it will grow. It will build. It will give birth to sin. And what does he say? And when sin has been accomplished, it will bring forth death. Not just physical death, but yes, physical death was a part of the fall. It was a curse of sin. But there's spiritual death. There's also a living death. Those who know God and yet refuse to live in his ways. Or for the Christian who is downcast, who has broken fellowship with the Lord, is that not a type of living death? To be separated from your God for a time. Man casts aside his understanding of God and his love for him and replaces it with his own confidence, his own joy, his own contentment in himself, or his unbridled lust, his passions, his selfishness, and his malcontent. What do we put our value on? Where do we place our hearts and our value? On the things of God or on the things of our heart? The things that we deem as necessary, the things that we deem as right, the things that we deem as best for us, Or do we take what God has given us and do we find contentment in those things? Don't be confused. God has placed you exactly where you are for his purpose. Be content in that. Don't always be looking for the grass that's greener on the other side or there's treasure at the end of the rainbow. Look at where God has you because we are creatures of a moment. We are not God. We don't live outside of time. We deal and live in the moment. That is where God has placed us. Do we find contentment in that? Or are we always looking for the next best thing? Do we allow sin to accomplish its goal in making us forget that we can run and cling to Christ, our Savior? Proverbs 18.10, The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous runs into it and are safe. Do we run to our sure tower? When we find ourselves struggling, do we cling to Christ? 
do we run to Him? Do we run from our sin? Make no mistake, you are to run from sin. You are to turn from it completely and turn to the truth of God's Word. Do not replace sin with your own understanding. Replace sin with God's wisdom, with God's love. Do not allow lust to be conceived in your heart. Lust for anything. And lastly, we're going to look at verse 16. Oftentimes, translations put verse 16 as the beginning of verse 17, but that wouldn't be correct. It says, Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. And what are we to not be deceived about? James is giving a dire warning to the church leaders. We've got to remember that the book of James was written to the early Jewish church in Jerusalem. It was written to those who are seeking to grow the church of Jesus Christ. But they are Jews. This was very early on in church history. And we are to not forget that James is talking to those who are to go out. Do not be deceived. Teach what is right. Teach sound doctrine. Teach purity in your doctrine. Do not be deceived by sin's lie, by teaching false doctrine, by teaching what is not true, by teaching law without grace, by teaching perfection in the flesh instead of perfection in the Spirit. It is God's Spirit that is pure and right. And as He calls us to be holy as He is holy, it is only through the Spirit that that can be accomplished. And that will be accomplished when we finally leave these bodies of flesh, when we see our Lord face to face, when we can finally rejoice without the hindrance of our sin and our flesh. I don't know about you, but I often think of how great that will be. It's when I can toss aside the flesh and worship God without the hindrance of my flesh, without the hindrance of the sin in my heart or in my mind, that I can worship God purely before Him as we were made to do. We were all made to worship the Creator. What a day that will be when Jesus I will see. A great hymn. There's so much truth in that. Do we yearn for that? Do we look forward to that? But do we not squander our time here? God has us here for a reason and a purpose. And we will be here until that purpose is accomplished. For some of us, it's short. For some, long. We are to teach our families. We are to teach our communities to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, mind, soul, and strength. We are to teach them that sin is real. The lust of the heart is real. It's a stumbling block. And yet, God's truth and God's Spirit has overcome it. Did Jesus say, take heart, I have already overcome the world. We have a promise. Do we cling to the promises of Christ? Do we give the world around us a correct view of Christ and a correct view of Scripture through our lives, through how we live, through how we pray for one another, how we love one another well from the heart? Do we lay faithfully upon the bedrock of our faith precious jewels and stones, or do we use hay, wooden stubble that will be burned up? Our bedrock is Jesus Christ, and we are to build truth, purity, and holiness upon that. That is what he calls us to. My beloved brethren, be not deceived. That's what James says. To those who are dear to him, do we look after our brothers and sisters? Do we reach out and know where your struggles are? Do we know how to pray well for one another? 
Do we reach out throughout the week, or is Sunday the only day you see people? Praise God, this little fellowship here is a part of everybody's life. We do life together. That is how God intended it. He did not intend for us to stand alone. Love one another from a pure heart. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. But also remember, Christ has already overcome. And we're going to celebrate that this morning with communion. We're going to worship God yet again and thank Him for His Word that is true and that even though sin does have an accomplishment of its own, we know that through Christ it has been broken. Sin no longer has mastery over the sons of God. For the Spirit has mastery. And we are to yield and submit to Christ in all things. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You, Lord, that You have overcome by the power of Your blood, by the purity and holiness of Your Word, by the love and life of Jesus Christ. We thank You that He came, that He sacrificed all the beauty and glory of heaven and set it aside for a time to become a man, to walk upon the earth full of sin, full of wickedness, and yet You stood without sin, and yet You overcame and you accomplished the purposes that the Father had placed before you. We thank you that we now have access boldly to the throne of grace because of the accomplished work of Jesus Christ. We thank you that the words upon the cross that is finished, that we can stand in the confidence that it is done. Man's redemption has been bought and paid for. We thank you that you are holy and that you do not change. And we thank you that you love man and you accomplish a great salvation for us. Father, we just ask that as we come before your table this morning, that you would continue to work in our minds and our hearts, that you will continue to give us wisdom from your word that we may live rightly before you. Father, help us to love you above all else and to love our neighbors as ourselves. In Jesus' name, amen.